This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everybody. My guest today is Anis Anyal. He is the, uh, he, or he's built a successful record label and toured the world before turning 24. Then he was diagnosed with an end stage kidney failure. Today, he runs a digital agency which, which works with exciting early stage companies and his goal is to help inspire people to find their purpose through the pain. Ani, are you ready to take us to the top? I'm here, Nathan. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. You bet. Thanks for jumping on. So, Let's go back first to the record label. Uh, sure. How do you do this and tour the world before turning 24? <laughs> so uh, I think it's, it stems from, you know, uh, my parents are from India. And so I'm growing up, you know, as a first generation, you know, brown kid in, in this country. And um, identity, you know, was a huge issue. And, and hip hop to me was, um, it was a funnel, you know, it was a vehicle for me to tell my story and, and, and find a way to, you know, reach people who are going through similar things. And uh, so when I was in high school, uh, I want to say around 16, 17 years old, um, this is 2005, 2006, you know, MySpace is exploding. Um, music is becoming a direct-to-customer business. And, you know, we're seeing the, the digital revolution, so to speak, um, for recorded music. And I just knew that there was, you know, I could tell there was something and I knew that there was an opportunity here that needed to be leveraged. Um, and so it started with, you know, kind of hacking around and figuring out how to Leverage digital, whether it was with MySpace, connecting the dots with other artists, um, selling your music on iTunes, you know, kind of in high school was a big thing at that time. And so those are the kind of humble beginnings. Um, how much, how much did you make selling music on iTunes? Wow. Um, in high school, we were making probably a couple thousand dollars a month. Um, and that, you know, that kind of increased throughout that time. Um, and the funny thing was, you know, once the market shifted to streaming, this is obviously, you know, five, six, seven years later. Um, it was significant impact on, you know, an artist, our, our artist's income. It so we hurt could, your you know, income or that. helped it? Absolutely. Hurt, hurt the income when it came to just raw digital sales. Obviously, there were more opportunities since we were further, you know, in our careers. But in terms of, you know, raw digital sales, it was definitely a downturn. And I, and I empathize, you know, with all kind of independent artists who are going through that now um, until you've seen it, you know, on the other side. It's, it's hard to tell. But um, now, were you cranking out your own music or you were making money off helping other people get exposure? Both. So predominantly making our own music. And so I was in a group uh, called Green Street. It was two MCs and a producer, kind of like a tribe called Quest for, you know, the, the new generation type of vibe. Um, and now, uh, I'm way out of my league here and my uncoolness <laughs> is going to come out here for a second. But like, what role were you like? Were you on the mic? The drums, yeah. the beat, the spinning. What were you doing? So I was I was an MC, meaning I was on the microphone as well as managing and doing the entire marketing for the group. And so um, I think, and that's kind of where I realized that you know, though I was, um, I would say I was talented on the mic. You know, my talents really went a little bit deeper than that um, because you know, even at I want to say by the time we were 21, 22, we were doing a lot of brand deals. Um, we went to Japan toward you know two months in Tokyo. 
What's a brand deal deal look like money-wise? Sure. So a brand deal money-wise was essentially a company like, for example, Marlboro, um, the cigarette company out there, they were doing a new activation where they wanted to have artists license music, you know, and, and have that become a part of their rollout. And uh, they would basically pay us up front to license music and then also provide us with tour support and things in Japan. How much did so they pay up front? Per song, we were getting around 5000 at that time. Um, so you do three songs, you know, you net a little bit of money, you go over there, make some more money on merch and um, hand-to-hand, you know, sales and things like that on tour. And um, that was kind of my first introduction to, introduction to um you know, I'd always been an entrepreneur, so to speak. I was the I was the lemonade stand kid, you know, growing up, and I would, you know, draw comic books and try to sell them and whatever it was. I always had a hustle. Um, you know, my my uh, my social handle is Ani Hustles, and I think that just kind of epitomizes, you know, what I'm about. But I think, you know, from a record label side, to be able to be creative, you know, t- uh, tell your narrative and also make money, um, well, you know, that was some exciting times. Now, you were diagnosed with something very serious when you turned 24, and how old are you today? 29. Okay. So five years kind of managing through this before we talk about how you did that. Sure. Give me a sense of the size of the business the day before you got the prognosis or the diagnosis that you got. How big was the company? So at that time we had been working with, um, you know, we had four different artists under the label. Um, we were, which was called uh, what by the way, green street records, green street records. Yeah. Yeah. And and we were touring, um, nationally pretty much 50, 60% of the year. Um, we had, you know, developed a merchandise arm. There was digital music sales. There were, you know, revenue coming in from other brand deals. And so, um, you know, numbers wise, I want to say, yeah, it's tough for me to say because it was all over the place, but it was a very active, you know, full time type of thing. And it was, um, it was wholly encompassing, you know, like of how, how much did you make in, in the year before the diagnosis top line? Man, I want to say, I, so as an artist, after you split everything and, you know, my, my personal take home would probably be around like 40, 50,000. Okay, but a top lot. line, it, business size. I mean, are we talking 400, 500, 800 grand a year? Uh, under that, I would say probably around between 250-ish. Okay, got it. Yeah. Good, so, okay. you know, still So built still a good small, little business. Yeah, built a good was, little yeah. business for yourself. So you're 24 years old and pick us up there. You get a diagnosis. What happened? end stage kidney failure, which is essentially the point where you've reached where you have three months, so to speak, until you need to get a transplant or you're on dialysis. And the the caveat to kind of everything that I've said so far, you know, while I was on tour in Japan and, and touring, you know, scoring a Bollywood film in India and doing all these things, I was managing my condition. So I was aware of it. Um, and the doctors would always say, you know, we have no idea how, you know, you're managing with these kind of physical results. People like you at this point are usually, you know, laid out in bed. Um, and that just, you know, goes to speak to, I think, purpose and, and passion. And when you have, you know, something that you're so, um, you know, focused on and motivated on, I think it really changes your entire, you know, way you approach life. Um, but, you know, the the week before I got my diagnosis, I had um, booked a, a tour to India. Essentially, I was supposed to be in India for two months, um, working on a Bollywood film and doing a lot of things there. And um, I got the diagnosis. The doctor said, you know, wrap it up. You know, you need to stay home and, and get healthy. And I was like, you know what, we'll deal with that when I get back. And so I actually ended up flying out the next week to India with this condition. And, and that was, you know, a whole different story, but I think just goes to speak to, again, you know, the testament of purpose. Um, and then, you know, when I got back, it was, uh, it was pretty dire. Um, and I ended up going on dialysis at the age of 24, which, you know, if anyone knows anything about dialysis, it's not an easy thing to do as a young person. Um, and I spent, you know, about six months. What was months- that like? 
it was uh, from a mental standpoint, it's extremely difficult to be an active you know, person like I was to be, you know, in multiple rooms and multiple people. Um, I think leading up to that year, I had, I had uh, I went to dinner with Nas. I don't know if you're familiar with Nas, but for people who are, um, you know, I had dinner with dinner with Nas. Make and me cool. Who is Nas? Give me some street cred. Nas here. is <laughs> Nas <laughs> is one of the uh, the most prolific hip hop artists of all time. Um, you know, people he's you know in everyone's top three, so to speak. Um, he he released you know the arguably the most classic, well crafted album of all time, which is Illmatic. Um, him and Jay-Z used to have a famous feud. And so he's kind of like, you know, he's kind of that guy. Well, I hope, uh, I hope I have a cool audience. I hope some of them are listening going, Nathan, we know Nas. How do you not know Nas? So I, I hope think, some I of you guys know him. <laughs> um, Nas runs a, a big VC firm right now. So that might be a, another access point for some What's of your the firm audience. called? Uh, they're called Queensbridge Capital Partners. Okay. Um, I know they've done uh, Casper, um, Uber, and a couple other, you know, kind of early stage companies at that point. So so, so take me back real, real quick. So you're going to India, you know, you yeah. have this thing. Yeah. Do you just put your brain in a place where you try and focus on the work? So you forget about the dialysis, like the diagnosis. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I believe in, you know, mental strength. I think Trump's all physical, um, you know, issues that we have. And obviously that's a blanket statement. I know everyone deals with their own thing at their own time. But for me, it was, it was a hundred percent mental. So um, you would just think- tell yourself every morning, wow, like I'm healthy today. I'm doing what I love in India. Let's get to work. Pretty much. Um, and there became a point where I could barely get up in the mornings. You know, that, that was a physical, uh, impediment that I definitely dealt with, but it was like, you know, this is what you live for. Um, and to be able to see the world, travel the world off of music and creativity. And, you know, that, that was a huge thing for me. And so, you know, I I was always a stay inspired, I think, but, um, that was a, a difficult thing. And looking back now, I don't know how I, you know, I don't know how I did it. Um, but I'm very glad that I did it. I don't I have no regrets. I would do it again in a heartbeat. Um, so this, I think, go ahead. No, finish with that because you think, cause I think that, you know, when, when it comes to purpose and, and passion, like we only get certain opportunities to tell that story. And, um, those are the, you know, these are the moments that kind of define, I think, you know, who we are as, as people, entrepreneurs, you know, whatever it is that that's where I think it happens. So this is when you were 24, you're now 29. Mm-hmm. You seem healthy talking to me here on video. What happened yeah. between those five years? A lot happened. Um, I was extremely blessed to, uh, to receive a, a kidney from my father, um, which is, you know, something that is <laughs> really deep on a whole bunch of different levels. But, you know, I was, I was incredibly, uh, lucky and blessed to have that and to basically resume a healthy life after about a year. Um, kind were of in your, that position. Were you close to your father before or did we were, this bring you closer? Yeah. We were close before. I would say, you know, he's he's a, an immigrant father. And so the idea of hip hop, rap, music, lab, you know, record labels, and that was extremely challenging for him to grasp, you know, for a lot of our, our time. Um, obviously, you know, we grew a lot closer post our whole experience. And, um, and nowadays, you know, I think he secretly shows us off, you know, my brother and I run the agency and I think he secretly brags about us because he understands what we do now. So, you know, does he know uh, who Nas is? <laughs> he calls him <laughs> Naz, I think. So <laughs> you might know him, but he knows him as Naz. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. So, so that's interesting. And I, I asked the parent question because you know, because of what you chose to get into, I could have easily seen a relationship there that may have been strained where the kidney brought you closer. I mean, were you guys on talking terms pre kidney? Of course. Of course. No. Okay. So it wasn't, so it wasn't super strained. Never that. I mean, you know, as uh, I think again, you know, as immigrant families, there's that different bond that you really, all you have is each other. Um, and we were close, but I think there were definitely, um, you know, just, 
just misunderstandings and miscommunications, you know, as a lot of families have. And especially when you decide to go out and do something bold and do something on your own. You know, I went to New York University for economics and finance and I had, you know, an entire world that was that was open to me. And I decided that that wasn't who I was and decided to take the step. And it was, it was you know, tough for a long time. But I do give my credit, you know, my parents a lot of credit for um, for not getting in the way. You know, maybe they weren't 100 percent supportive the whole time, but they you know, they kind of trusted the process and trusted me. And I think now, you know, nowadays we all kind of joke and laugh about it. But in before we get to your current business and how you're scaling it in that moment, when you realized your your father was a match. Yeah. Did you immediately think I don't want him to do this? Um, that's a that's a really good question. It's a tough question. I don't think I had that thought because I had an implicit faith throughout the whole thing that, you know, whichever kind of road that we went down, um, would be the right one. Um, there was a lot of issues with him and, and, and kind of like how he wasn't a hundred percent medically cleared. And it was this thing where he knew he was taking a risk on his life and on my life. And so there's, you know, layers to this, but, but we, um, you know, we were very close and intentional during that time. And, you know, I think that speaks to the unconditional love of parents, you know, to literally put everything on the line for their kids. And, and so, you know, today, a lot of, what I do and a, a lot of my focus and a lot of the reason why I go as hard as I do is because of them, you know, not only to honor them, but also to, uh, to continue the, the legacy of family and, and, uh, keep building, you know, generationally. CRMs might be the tool that I fight with the most. I just haven't found one that I really liked. I don't know if you guys are the same way, but they're just so tricky. And a while ago, I had a guy named John Lee on my show. He's the CEO of ProsperWorks. And he told me they just passed 40,000 customers and 24 million in annual revenue. So they're doing about $286,000 in revenue per employee. And I said, wow, why is this working? And I said, you know what? I'm going to try it. So I went to prosperworks.com forward slash love your CRM, signed up, and it immediately became clear why it worked. Those of you that love growth hacking, you should go to that link just to see how they do the onboarding. That's prosperworks.com forward slash love your CRM. In short, it's like magic. You know, I'm not the guy that, you know, finishes the sales call and then takes the time to actually put data into the CRM. They have this magical way of just doing it. And it's a beautiful thing. So every morning when I wake up, I just go, okay, what leads are ProsperWorks telling me to reach out to because they're most likely to close and it works so well. And you guys know I love money and I love only focusing on the leads that are going to close. So I encourage you to try ProsperWorks. They're sponsoring the show. Check them out at prosperworks.com forward slash love your CRM. Folks, that's again, prosperworks.com forward slash love your CRM. So Green Room Creative, what's it do? And is it a typical agency business model? That's how you make money? Uh, business model is typical for the most part. I think where we differentiate ourselves is our approach to, um, our approach to the work essentially. So we work with early stage and small and mid-sized companies. Um, and the focus is entirely on growth. So I like to, you know, refer to us kind of as a digital growth agency. And I say that differentiates us from other agencies because a lot of times nowadays people are chasing impressions, you know, they're chasing, um, you know, reach instead of actually chasing the conversions and the impact on the bottom line. And I think our strength comes from the ability to synthesize um, creative production, um, actual paid media strategy, and the overall consulting and kind of, um, you know, market research side of things. And so we, every meeting, you know, all three teams are, are in that office. They're, you know, they're together on the call and, and we approach every client kind of in a holistic manner. And I think that leads to a lot of, um, 
interesting things when you get down funnel, you know, because the understanding is deeper. And, and what will you guys do this year in total revenue, you think? Um, we are north of $1.5 million this year, which okay. is, um, you know, which is a big jump from, from last year. What was think, last year total? Uh, it was about half of that. Okay. A little 700. bit less than half. So yeah, so we've scaled, um, you know, obviously scaling an agency under the traditional agency model is extremely difficult. Um, and I think that's something that we continue to try to find efficiencies in, but, um, and we're also seeing the agencies kind of, uh, People are moving a lot of their teams in-house you yep. know, when it comes to kind of marketing and growth. And we've seen that headwind. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the ability to creatively approach problems that, that agencies have, I think, will always be an advantage to in-house teams. And at least that's what we've seen so far. Um, Is there any but, individual of your current customers that makes up more than 20% of your revenue? Yes, why yep. not? Why not sell yourself to them? Let them bring you in-house like, and it's basically an acquisition. I think there are, when you move in house, there's just a different relationship between you and the client. Um, there's different kind of wants and needs on their end and expectations on their end. And, um, I think, you know, from what we've been able to do and and see thus far, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different directions that we want to go with this. And I think if we commit to going in house somewhere, um, it limits that. And, uh, an example is, you know, I think we're also looking at kind of adapting the agency model and spinning off a VC arm of that and using kind of our ability and our, our services to, you know, take positions and, and take equity in companies early on and kind of help them grow um, as well as, you know, provide value from, from a, from a growth standpoint. If you take equity for your work, instead of the company paying you cash, how do you maintain your staff and how do you keep growing? It's extremely challenging. Um, we've, we've run into that issue a couple of times this year where it didn't work, you know, with clients, a, a couple equity, you know, equity only deals that um, weren't sustainable. And so I think the the key there is to continue to grow, um, you know, the, the clients that are performing well and finding, you know, more opportunities either with them or with, you know, um, businesses of that nature and just continue to grow the top line. Um, and then doing some of these projects, you know, in, in, I think we have to bite off a little bit smaller pieces of the VC model initially um, until we, you know, hit certain revenue goals that were able to spread it out and really, you know, approach that in a more efficient manner. Did you get equity in the daily beast? Uh, we did not. That would have been a good one. That would have been a great one. Um, but we, we continue to work with them and, and they're, they're pretty exciting. All right, honey, let's wrap up here with the famous five. These are short answers. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Wow. Um, Don't, I can't believe I don't have this off the top of the head. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Let's just keep it classic. Yep. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Uh, Tristan Walker from Bevel and uh, Elon Musk of Tesla and, and everything else. Number two, is there a favorite online tool you have for running your business, like Acuity Scheduling? Um, we like to, let's, I mean, big fans of Trello, um, and we use an invoicing system called Hivage, which I think is might be a little bit underrated, so shout out to them. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, between five and six. I just came in from a red eye this morning uh, from San Francisco. So this is like. Are you, you full know, speed like, now? Like you don't have any side effect. You're not, you're not having to get more sleep. You're not tired. You have plenty of energy. You're basically 100%. I, I tell people uh, my biggest gift, because I don't believe I have too many of them, but is my energy. And, uh, you know, I'm 100%. That's good. Um, yeah. Now, are you married or single? Uh, I am. I mean, I'm in a long-term relationship. Okay, got it. So you're you're not single, but you're not married. You're in a relationship, and no kids That's yet. Correct. 
No kids yet. Okay. And uh, you're 29. So take us back nine years. What do you wish your 20 yeah. year old self knew? Wow. Um, the biggest thing I would tell my 20 year old self is play to your strengths and don't try to do everything and be everything to everybody, but do what you're good at. Double down on that and get people to believe in you. There you guys have it from Ani. Play to your strengths. Back when he was 19, 20, all the way up to when he was 24, he launched a record label, which did very well. He grew it to about 200, call it 300 grand in top line revenue, taking home about 40 grand for himself annually again. And then when he turned 24, something really scary happened that maybe turned magical with his father being a, a match, albeit a risky match, uh, to basically give him a, a kidney transplant. He was diagnosed with end stage kidney failure today. He since recovered from that now growing his own digital agency did 700 grand in top line revenue last year. will break 1.5 million this year, scaling quickly doing work with com- big companies like the daily beast. Ani, thank you for taking us to the top. Thank you, Nathan. I appreciate it. Have a good one.